You're listening to the Northfield Podcast with your host, Caleb Gordon, and we are tackling issues of family, faith, and culture, all from a biblical worldview. Sit back, buckle up, and let's go. Find out more at calebgordon.org. Hey, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Northfield Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program today. The world is always looking for a comeback story. The world is always looking for a redemption story. And today, I think we've got that. Jake Eakin, in 2003, was a young boy who made national headlines for for something that, that really isn't something you want to make national headlines for. At just 12 years old, he was convicted of murdering a classmate. And it was a, a news headline that was jaw-dropping. He was the youngest or one of the youngest people in the state of Washington to be charged as an adult in the murder of his classmate. While in prison, Jake had a lot of time to read. He was a voracious reader. He read all kinds of books, including the scriptures. And he heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and was redeemed and reconciled and saved by grace. On the program today, I get to sit down with Jake and talk about what happened and how the Lord Jesus Christ got a hold of him. I pray that this interview encourages and challenges you this week. Welcome to the Northfield Nation, Mr. Jake Eakin. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, brother. Good to talk to you today. Great, great. Glad you're on the program today. So, um, as I mentioned in the intro, um, you, you had just a whirlwind of an event happen when you were 12 years old, and, and you, you made national headlines for something most people don't want to make national headlines for. So tell us a little bit about your story and, and what happened and basically how it happened and and what what experiences you had while you were in prison. So um, at the age of 12, um, you know, prior to, prior to this anyways, I was just pretty much a near average kid. There was nothing, I mean, a lot of, somebody asked, somebody recently asked me to share my testimony to a youth group. And, uh, they, they asked me, you know, if my, my childhood, if there was anything in my childhood that, that, that would have led to what had happened. Yeah. And really there was nothing like that. There was no traumatic childhood. There was no abusive family. Um, I was just your, you know, stereotypical kid, um, did all the normal things that any other kid would do. Uh, so there was nothing. There was nothing like that. There was nothing. There was nothing that could foreshadow what happened. Oh, wow! But at the age of twelve, at the age of twelve, uh, I I had a I had a childhood friend named Evan Savoy, and um, on the weekends I would often go to his house and spend the night with him. And so that's what that I I I lived in Moses Lake, Washington. He lived in Afraid of Washington. So. Um, Somehow I found myself at his house and I was spending the night with him and we went to a park to play. And when we went to the park that day, once again, there was nothing, there was no conversation about any plans or, or anything along those lines for what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were at the park, Evan, without any warning at all, pulled a knife out of his pocket and began to uh, talk to me about how he had plans to go on a killing spree. Oh, wow. And when he told me this originally, I just thought he was he was making a sick joke. Yeah. And so I I kind of took everything he was telling me nonchalantly and not really seriously. Um, and we we were 
we we walked around this park to a to a travel trailer that was located also in the park. And Evan knocked on the door and asked if a young boy named a uh, 13 year old boy named Craig Sawyer could come to come out and play. Mm-hmm. And um, so the three of us ended up going into a wooded area in the park. Um, and everything was normal. We were building a fort, just doing things that any other kids would do. And without any warning, Evan comes, uh, uh, asked Craig to get kneel down on the ground. And he, Evan had a, about a, ba- a basketball sized rock in his hands. And Craig knelt down on the ground and Evan told him to count down from 10. And when Craig got to one, Evan dropped the rock on the back of Craig's, on the back, uh, on Craig's back and then began to, and then began to beat him. Oh. And me, I was completely taken aback by this, taken by in shock and just kind of as Evan was beating him. And at the time I didn't real I didn't realize completely that Evan was stabbing him, even though that I think that the thought had crossed my mind yeah. because of the amount of blood I see. But I was, as Evan, Craig at one point got up and started running and Evan ran back to him and threw him to the ground. And when he did that, I, I got up from where I was on the ground as I, as I was watching everything and told Evan to stop. And Evan got off of Craig and pushed him to the ground. And it was from there that I, that I observed basically the remainder of this attack. Um, and then as, as, it, as when it was all done and, and Craig was on the ground motionless, mm-hmm. um, I remember thinking to myself that I needed to either run, I need to get away from Evan somehow. Cause yeah. I, I thought maybe perhaps I was, you know, next in this killing spree and this plan that he had since, since I hadn't gone completely along with what he was doing. And so, Evan was a lot bigger than me, and so I knew that I couldn't outrun him, and so I grabbed the stick that was on the ground, and my intention was to hit Evan with it, but for some reason that I don't know even to this day completely why or what was going through my mind when I did so, I walked past Evan and struck Craig with the stick while he was on the ground, and then threw the stick to the ground, and Evan then walked up to me and shook my hand, and from there, we left the park, and Evan came up with a story that we would tell the police and our parents. And um, three days later, we were arrested. Both of us were arrested for first-degree murder. So you were, if, if I remember reading the story right, you were the one of the youngest people charged in the state of Washington as an adult for first-degree murder, correct? Yes. Wow. Okay, so... You're you're in prison. How long how long were you in prison? Um, so originally we were arrested and thrown into a juvenile facility, uh, where we went to a decline hearing where they determined that we'd be tried as adults. Uh, and about I think in about a year and four months or around there, um, we sat in the juvenile waiting for trial. Um, and there was an event that happened where Evan changed his story and was going to blame the, the victim's family for what had happened. Oh, my. And when my attorney, when, when I heard this, um, I ended up calling my attorney and telling him I wanted to tell him what happened. I, 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 I even as like, a, I think I was 13 or 14 at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, the prospects of trying to blame the victim's family was just, it, it kind of like struck, it kind of like was just that <clears throat> the end for me. I had to just tell everyone what had happened. 
Oh, wow. And so soon after that, my attorneys talked to the uh, prosecuting attorney, which they came up with a plea agreement that I would testify against Evan um, at trial and receive a, a, that I would still be tried as an adult, but they would recommend an eight year sentence to the pros- to the, to the judge, to the court. And I would, and I wouldn't, and I would spend it all in a juvenile facility. Um, well, on the day of sentencing, the judge didn't go along with the prosecutor's recommend the state's recommendation and sentenced me to the mid range, which is 14 years. Uh, and, um, and at age 18, I would go to adult prison. Oh, say that one more time. At age of 18. So, say that again. Yeah. So at the age 18, I would, I would go to an adult facility. Oh, wow. And so I, I, I received a 14 year sentence. Okay. And, and complicity, and I pled guilty to complicity to commit murder in the second degree. So did you spend, you spent the entire 14 years, correct? Yeah. 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 Big, yeah. Every, uh, yeah. Pretty much the whole entire sentence. Yeah. So, Tell, tell, okay, so during your time in prison, you, you had a lot of time in your hands, obviously. So you spent some time reading. Um, and you got, you became a, a pretty, pretty voracious reader, correct? Yeah, yeah. So and when I first got arrested, I actually didn't know how to read. Um, oh, wow. As a child, I was, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, um, which I do not think that I really had a learning disability. I think it was more of a lack of interest in learning. Sure. Um, because when I was when I found myself in, the, in a in a jail cell with nothing to do, within a few months I taught myself how to read and write. Um, and when I when I after I was sentenced, I ended up going to uh, a juvenile kind of prison, but mm-hmm. they were kind of a little they were they were kind of rougher places. Yeah. And got in some trouble where I ended up having to spend some time in uh, solitary confinement. And it was during that time that I that I began to um, yeah just basically read anything and everything I get my hands on. I I I developed kind of a uh, I I really enjoyed reading history and philosophy and uh, even religions and uh, different world religions and basically anything that could help me uh, that that could that could help me my pro- and my progression of educating myself, which is basically what you have to do when you're in prison. Yeah. So, okay, so you're in jail, you're reading different books, and you run across the scriptures. Tell, tell us how Jesus got a hold of you. Yeah, so that came later on. And so, um, about, so about, you know, the, about 12 years passes, um, I think I'm 26 years old at this point, and I'm just months away from getting out of prison. And they, and I, they sent me to a work release facility where in Yakima, Washington, where I, where I begin to affiliate to society. I get a job and, and, um, I spent about a couple months there and I couldn't adjust to the outside world. I was having a very difficult time. And at this time, I'm not a Christian. Yeah. Um, even though I, I knew, I knew, I knew a little bit about Christianity and, Quite a bit, actually, from, from from reading and talking to people in prison. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't know what the gospel was, but I understood different Christian doctrines and you know different sects and that type of thing. Right. But I wasn't a Christian. But I was having a hard time adjusting to society, uh, the outside world. And um, one day that I, I was at work, I got overwhelmed, and I and I was working in night shift, and I left my work and and went on the run. And uh, 
I think it was a few days later, they recaptured me a couple thousand miles away in Rapid City, South Dakota, and extradited me back to Washington State. And so now it's facing additional time for, for, an, uh, for the escape. And so I finished my, uh, my original sentence, and on the day that I would have been, I would have been released, um, I, was, I was put on a chain bus and taken to Yakima County Jail where, where I faced escape charges. Oh, wow. Um, I ended up getting one year for the escape charge, um, which was good time. I ended up serving six months. But it was in the county jail, Yakima County Jail, where uh, the Lord began to work on me. Um, I, I, found my, I found myself in a jail cell on the top floor, and this was probably one of the worst county jails in, in the United States. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's gang, there's a lot of gangs, and, and because I was uh, maximum security, they put me in with the gang members. Oh, uh, luckily, I knew a lot of them from being in prison, and so I was okay in there. But, like, the first day I was there, um, I watched my jail cell as another, as, as, a, as one in, two inmates killed another inmate and stabbed him to death. And so that was kind of the environment I found myself in. Um, but I tell a story about how when I entered the jail cell, the county jail, that there were three books on the floor of my jail cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was the Bible. The other was um, a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh. And um, and the journals of Jim Elliot. Oh wow! And I started reading the Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, the biography about him, and that book really began to impact me. Um, and it it kind of inspired me to start reading the Bible. And so that's what I did. I I kind of went back and forth between reading the after I finished the Bonhoeffer book, went back and forth between reading um, the journals of Jim Elliot, which really inspired me as well, and the Bible and that basically the Bible I had, I didn't really have anybody to mentor me. So, uh, I just kind of followed the instructions and the, and the introduction of the Bible. And it told it, it, And so I started in Genesis and read all the way through. And I did that five or six times when I was in there. And wow. I remember one day, I can't remember how many times I'd read through it, but I, but a one, I, I basically wake up, go to sleep. I, I'd, I'd go to sleep, wake up, read the Bible until I fell asleep again. And um, that's how I, and so for, for weeks I was doing that. And one day I was reading uh, Romans in the book of Romans and it, and it mentioned the word perpetuation. Mm. And I didn't know what it meant. And so I started doing kind of a research about what that meant. And then as I was doing that, it, the gospel dawned on me what it was, what the gospel was. And so without any kind of mentorship, any discipleship at all, uh, you know, God kind of revealed to me what his gospel was, you know, that, um, that we're all, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we're all sinners, that we all deserve death, but that Christ took the penalty of death in our, in our place. He was a perpetuation for our sins. Mm. And when that made, when that, when that made sense to me, I just fell on my knees and, and cried out to God because it was, it was probably, it was the most amazing message I'd ever heard that, that God would take someone like me and instead of giving me the death that I deserved, would give me, would, 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 uh, send his son to die in my place to take the penalty I deserved. And, um, and from then on out, I, I resolved that I would live my life for Christ. Wow. So the, literally the power of the word of God 
just penetrates your heart and you understand that you are sinful and you deserve the death penalty and that Christ stepped into your place and took your place on the cross and was raised three days later for your justification and just it transforms your life. Wow. Amen. And you know, brother, and what, amen. But, and you know, brother, it's amazing because we get a lot of opposition of people that use my pass and throw it, throw it in my face constantly, which is something I've accepted. It's not something that I necessarily think is unwarranted. I think it's part of, it's part of, uh, it's part of, it's just part of being a Christian that the enemy's going to constantly throw your pass in your face. Yep. That was one of, that was actually one of the questions. Yeah, the amazing thing is, brother, is that these people will say you deserve worse, that you don't deserve forgiveness, that you don't deserve salvation. Mm. And what they don't understand is that they're making the case for the gospel. Of course I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't deserve it. Of course I deserve hell. Of course I deserve worse. But Christ, but God, Mm-hmm. Being rich in mercy, uh, has on. responded to that state by sending His Son Jesus Christ to take that penalty, to give us what we do- took. He He experienced what He didn't deserve and gave us what we don't deserve. Absolutely, which is the amazing picture of the gospel. Absolutely, and that's and I think that's one of the things that's it's most difficult for people to understand that are, that maybe haven't gone as as far in you know in quote-unquote outside you know in sin you know because you know when people say oh i've never murdered anybody but i mean when the bible tells us jesus internalizes if i hate my brother i'm guilty of murder if i if i look at a woman i'm guilty of of adultery with if i look at a woman with lust i mean so jesus internalizes it and we don't we see the outside and say well jake well he's a murderer look at him he's a he's a hypocrite he's a how dare he stand up and say anything that that he deserves mercy? Because well, no, none of us deserve mercy. All of us I deserve. That, yeah, yep. yep. Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah, none of us, none of us deserve the mercy we've been given, and that's the whole point of the gospel. Hundred percent. But I think where they get it wrong, brother, is that they think I haven't done as I haven't committed as great evil as Jake. Exactly. And so I'm okay. Yep. But what they don't understand is that. They can't bring me up when they stand before God. Nope. I won't be part of that equation. They're going to have to stand on their. They're going to have to stand on their own merits on that day, and they and that, and that is not enough. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're if you believe if you're the nice uh, old humanitarian. If you're the greatest humanitarian that has ever lived, <laughs> and you've done great charitable deeds, and and you've won the Nobel Peace Prize, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, none of that can save you. And in fact, the Bible says that those good works can only condemn you if they're done apart from the glory of God and, and, and God's grace. Hundred percent, and that's you're hundred percent right. We we stand alone on Judgment Day. I don't get to look to my wife. I don't get to look to my kids. I don't get to look to you or anybody else. It's me and God, and I have to stand before Him and give an account. And if my account is not covered by the blood of Christ, I'm in deep weeds. <laughs> Um, okay. Amen, so let me, okay. So let me ask you one more question and then we're going to jump into what you're doing uh, now. Um, the family of the victim, have you had a time where you've reached out to them or you've talked to them or you've, you've made any attempt to, to try to have some sort of reconciliation with them? Um, besides, besides the, the plea agreement, which they agreed to, I haven't had any communication with them, and I can't because of a court order. Gotcha. There's a lifetime no contact order between us. 
Gotcha. And so I respect that. If the only way that would ever happen, and I pray that, that there, would, there would come a time that maybe that would be possible, is if they reach out to me. Um, they would, but they would have to be the ones to initiate that. I can't do that. Gotcha. Uh, and in fact, I, I, I don't think that I would reach out to them just out of respect. I don't know where they are. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if they would even appreciate that at all, even if I could. Yeah. So I leave that in the Lord's hands. Yeah. And um, and pray for one day that that might be a possibility. Awesome. That that's and that was yeah. That's that's the only thing you can do, and you're you're doing the right thing. I mean, you're you're obeying the court order, and you're following what the courts have asked you to do. Um, yeah, if they reach out to you, you you have the desire to want to reconcile. So that's man, that's that's signs that a sign that that Jesus rules and reigns in your heart. So that's a good thing. <laughs> okay, um, so let me ask what what are we what are you doing now? Um, you're you are advocating for the abolition of abortion, and a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, how can you be someone that wants to ab- you know uh, you know stand up against abortion when you're a a, a murderer yourself? Well, you know, uh, people say that the fact that of my the fact that I uh, I'm a murderer mm-hmm. uh, makes me a hypocrite now that I stand against the murder of the unborn. But that's not hypocrisy. That's called repentance. Absolutely, uh, repentance is when you commit a sin and you you turn from that sin and turn to Christ. Your desires change towards that. And oftentimes what that looks like is that the very sin you once committed that you now combat against it. Mm. Come on. And so what they confuse is hypocrisy that I was a murderer and now stand against the murder of the unborn is really just the working of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, convicting them of sin, uh, leading them to repentance. And then because of that, because of that repentance and that transformation and sanctification uh, uh, that God performs in a person's life, they will oftentimes combat that very sin and become an advocate against it. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've read, I've followed you online for a while, and I've read some of the, in the early days on your Facebook, there were so many people that would post stuff that, you know, you're, you're a hypocrite and you're an abuser of, of women because you stand outside of these places and, and, and plead for the unborn. But at yeah. doing that yeah. myself, I've, I've seen it happen. So speak to that for you know, when people say, oh, he's just a hypocrite well, and an abuser. Yeah, yeah, brother. Well, it's kind of ironic to me that the same people would condemn me for my past are the same people that are condemning me for fighting against the very thing they're condemning me for. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I don't understand. That's the true hypocrisy. It's almost like they want me to remain the murderer that I was. And are now mad that I fight against the murder. Um, so that for me, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. It's kind of absurd. The whole, the whole, the whole position that they hold that, um, that me fighting against the murder of unborn children is, is somehow an outrage because of my past. Um, but you no, know, the thing is, is I, I could see that you could easily, what they're saying could easily hold truth. If our motivation for going out there was to to uh, harass women and and um, and our motivations weren't pure and weren't holy, yeah, that could be true. But brother, our motivations for going out there are to are to be faithful and obedient to Christ. That's right. 
Amen. Um, to proclaim his gospel and to rescue babies from being murdered and to offer help and assistance to the mothers and fathers who are, who are in a very desperate place in life. And that's, that's a- our motivation going out there. Those are pure motivations. And um, so um, I, I think that their view that we're, har- that we're just out there harassing women and we're abusing women, that comes from a very skewed and, uh, and, and convoluted worldview that looks at children as unborn children as if they're not truly human. Yep. And so the urgency to fight on their behalf isn't there. Um, and so, and so brother, but I do understand that. I do understand that that could be, that could be true, that there are people that go out there and their motivations are not here and that's not good. Absolutely. Their motivations are. And, that, and I, I've, and I can attest that I have watched you for, a little over a year now online, uh, just following you, and, and you you post uh, videos with with Matt Brock, and, and you guys are outside the abortion mills, uh, murder murder mills in South Carolina, pleading for the lives of the unborn. And I, I watch as you 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 stand and preach the gospel, and you ask ask women to to save their babies and not murder their babies, and they get in your face and do some of the most horrific horrible things because no one likes to be conf- confronted with their own sin. And and, yeah, it, and you know, brother, you, you know, brother, and the thing is, is like, do I wish that I could do this a different way? Yes, I do. Yeah. But brother, there's so we're so limited in, in, in our capacity and what we can do out there at the abortion clinics. First off, we have a we have a ten foot wall separating us from the women, and so oftentimes we have to stand on a scalpel or a ladder in order to even reach them. But so, do I wish that there was a way that I could that I could reach these these women? and try to save these babies in a way that what didn't appear as aggressive as what we do, I do. But unfortunately, brother, the situation we're in right now, this is the only practical means that we have to try to save these babies. Yeah, and, and I've, I've heard so, it said before, if, if, this, if, if we just fast-forwarded and we found a mother that was killing her two-year-old baby, if it was na- a nationwide epidemic of women killing their two-year-old babies, we would do. We would move heaven and earth to stop these women from killing these these babies. But because they're in the womb, we sent, we've been desensitized to yeah, the fact that it is murder. Yeah. 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 And that's 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 actually the, the the crux of the matter is that we as a society have systematically dehumanized unborn children in a very similar manner in which we dehumanized uh, other people groups throughout history. Yeah. And so when you do that, brother, these people, they look at your, they look at what you're doing. Like I would do this exact same thing on behalf of any other people group that were being murdered in our society. But because it's the unborn, people look at us like we're doing something like we're harassing women or they don't see that what we're actually trying to do is save unborn children and offer help. Absolutely. Love it. Well, man, I uh, if, okay. So let's in in the last couple minutes here. If you, man, if you if you had two minutes with somebody and and you wanted to share the most important message with somebody, what what would that message be? Yeah, it would just be the gospel. Um, it would, and and for those that don't know, who might be listening and don't know what the gospel is, um, the gospel is the message that we've all fallen short of the glory of God that we've all become violators of his law, which is 
a the law is a representation of the attributes of God, his perfection. That's his standard. And we've all fallen short of that standard. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we've seen happen in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve uh, violated the word of God and, 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 and sin entered into the world and death entered into the world. Um, that's that penalty that God was, that the Bible's talking about, the penalty of death. And we are all under that penalty of death. It doesn't matter if we think we're a good person or whether we're a murderer or the greatest humanitarian that's ever lived. We've all violated the terms of God's standard, and so we all have to pay the penalty of death. But the good news, and that's the bad news, but the good news is this, is that God has responded by sending a perfect, a perfect representative in the, per, in the person of his son, his only begotten son, to this world to live the, the perfect life you could not live, to uphold the law of God that you could not uphold, and then to go to the cross and, and die the death that you deserved, and to pay the penalty that you deserved. And that the full, all the wrath of God that was stored up for sin, your sin and my sin, uh, for God's people was reversed from, uh, from vile and wretched sinners and poured out upon the only perfect and righteous man that has ever lived. And then that, per, that, and then that, that Messiah who died, then on the third day rose from the dead, conquering death, overcoming it, and has ascended to heaven, where he reigns as king and lord over all the universe, and all authority has been given to him. And he will reign there until he's pressed all his enemies beneath his feet. And that penalty of death that entered into the world, it says that the last enemy to be overcome is death. And so we're anticipating a time where the Lord will put that evil beneath his feet, which includes abortion, death, and will reconcile all things to himself and will, and will, and will bring about a complete recreation of all things. Amen. That's the gospel. That's it. That's it. Well, if somebody's interested in, in knowing more about your ministry and what you're doing, Jake, how how do they get a hold of you, or what do they where do they find out where you're what uh, you're doing? You know, they can they can follow us on Facebook. Uh, I got a I got a I got a I got a public page and a uh, and a uh, and and a, just a, a personal page. Um, I, I recently I recently um, took down our website just because um, we were we were living entirely by faith, but the Lord kind of con, uh, convicted me to to. to uh, started the business and and the purpose of that was to be able to give and to other ministries instead of receiving yeah and so while we're still doing the same work uh i'm not doing it in in, in the full-time ministry aspect of yep. of living by faith like that yep. anymore and so uh and that was just a personal conviction on my behalf yeah. and so people can follow what we do though on facebook and I'll link your Facebook bio in the link of this podcast so that people can can get a hold of you okay. and, and find it that way as well. So, hey Jake, would you um, would you just dismiss us in prayer? Yes, I will. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning to uh, to, to to share testimony. But even more than that, Father, it's not our testimony that has the power to save; it's the gospel. Mm, yeah. And so we pray that the gospel would go forth today, that you would use weak and pathetic vessels like me and my brother Caleb here to somehow reach somebody out there that needs this message today. Yes, Jesus. Uh, Father, we are are eternally grateful for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And we pray, Father, that that the cross would be the motivating factor of our life to get us out into the world to share the glorious message of the gospel with those who are perishing. We love you, Father, and we thank you for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being on the program, Jake. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Diversified Systems Resources is a technology company based in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, that's been in business for 39 years. Are you looking for a stable employer, clean office environment, fun teammates, and a day that is always new and exciting? Then email us your resume today at dsrjobs at dsrglobal.com. DSR, we deliver technology.